0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University. Committed to teaching, research, and professional training. With degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all suite hotel and conference center minutes from Jaeger Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.
2: Welcome back to The Legislature Today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us. It was a busy day for the Senate as it passed a dozen bills ranging from issues of schools to health care and substance abuse. First up, Senate Bill 51, which would require an impact statement in certain instances of school closing or consolidation. School closure and consolidation have been pervasive in the state, as the population continues to decline, according to the 2020 census, West Virginia lost 3.2% of its population since 2010. Senate Bill 258, which would eliminate a $10,000 cap on rent-to-own agreements in the state, was the only bill that did not pass unanimously. Currently in the law,
3: it says that there is um, there cannot be a rent-to-own contract related to goods, consumer good, which has a cash value, fair market value of more than $10,000. This bill, if it passes, will remove that cap completely. And so consumers and rent-to-own businesses will be free to enter into uh, whatever contract they like, regardless of the amount of the value of the consumer good, which is the subject of the contract.
2: Four of the bills passed Monday were sponsored by one senator. Reporter Chris Schulz caught up with him after the floor session to learn more about those bills.
0: One third of the bills in front of the Senate on third reading Monday were sponsored by Senator Mike Azinger, Republican from Wood County. He said their aim was to address a chronic issue in the state.
4: Three of the four bills that uh, were on third reading today deal with the the uh, homeless slash drug cr- uh, crisis that is especially affecting two or three counties, that being Wood County, Cabell County, maybe you could say Canal County, and maybe one or two others. But like in Wood County, we have uh, 4% of the population and 25% of the beds. And uh, we could potentially have double that uh, if, if Ohio Valley College uh, is, is purchased by... Uh, by these folks that, uh, that have these drug reha- rehab places. So these bills are trying to constrict that. Uh, the, the issues that we have in Wood County with homeless camps, with, with uh, crime, as you can imagine, break-ins and burglary, it's, it's just off
0: the charts. Senate Bill 239 would require the commissioner of the Bureau for Behavioral Health to engage community stakeholders in a study of homeless demographic information throughout West Virginia, due by July 1, 2024. Azinger said better understanding the state's unhoused population is important to ensure the best use of the state's resources.
4: The studies is basically just to know where where the homeless folks are in West Virginia. Why are they migrating from one part of the state to the other, and and how many of these homeless people are from out of state? We're getting tons of out of state people that come to West Virginia to the drug rehab places because of uh, we have a lot of beds in Wood County and and uh, Cabell, but uh, also because we have, we have benefits we give away you know all kinds of freebies and the word gets out on the street (laughs) across the country hey go to West Virginia and that's what's happening so we're uh we want to truncate that put a blanch the the bleeding put a stop to it and uh, make it reasonable we're not kicking anybody out of beds Uh, we don't want to do that we want people that want help to get help
0: Senate Bill 243 would require the institutions giving people that help with substance use issues to also provide transportation after treatment has ended. The mandate for transportation is broad-reaching, as the bill requires, quote, a means of transportation back to the individual's state of birth, a state in which they have previously lived, or a state where they have a family support structure be provided. The senator said there is no funding for the requirement by design.
4: I just send these folks back to where they have family, to a state that they're from, or you know some place where they have connections and, and relationships and um, uh, you know a, a history there. So uh, we're we're just making the the drug rehab places have some skin in the game, so so that you know we all need. If, you know, if we, if we're, it's human nature. If we have skin in the game, we'll, we'll act differently, and that's what we're looking for here. Uh, you know, let let them, you know, let them pay the price back uh, for the bus ticket. Parksburg paid, I think, twenty-four thousand dollars in bus tickets last year. Uh, so uh, that's twenty-four thousand that, in my opinion, the City of
0: Parksburg should not have to pay. He also stated that the requirement serves two purposes: getting those individuals fresh out of substance use treatment back to their support systems and out of West Virginia. Azinger also sponsored Senate Bill 241, which shifts the responsibility for investigating and enforcing the Patient Brokering Act, as well as Senate Bill 251, which requires the display of the official U.S. motto, In God We Trust, in all state schools. Our country was was built on God. Our our, uh, uh, America was birthed
4: by the Great Awakening. You know, uh, a, a religious revival in the, you know, early 1700s uh, was the impetus. Uh, it was the birthright of the of the American Revolution, and that's always that's always how we have operated. So, so why did we take it out? And what's happened since we've taken it out? Well, a lot of bad things have happened since we've taken it out. So let's start bringing
0: God back into the schools. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz.
2: Two more bills have passed through the legislative process and are now on their way to Governor Jim Justice for his signature. Senate Bill 143 titled Relating to Adopt-A-Stream Program. The bill would establish an Adopt-A-Stream Program to promote the cleaning of the state's waterways, similar to the Adopt-A-Highway Program.
5: The Clerk of the House announced the House amended and passed Senate Bill 143 relating to Adopt-A-Stream Program. Message will be received, Senior Senator from the 17th.
4: Thank you, Mr. President. I move the Senate concur in the House amendments to Senate Bill 143.
3: Senior Senator from the 17th moves the Senate concur in the House amendments to Senate Bill 143. Is there discussion, Senior Senator from the 17th?
4: Thank you, Mr. President. Just to remind the body, this was relating to Adopt a Stream program. Uh, the uh, House uh, made it more effective and to encourage uh, the, the bill was to make it more effective to. Um, Uh, The program more effective and to encourage participation, the House amendments were purely technical in nature, average adoption.
2: The bill originated in the Senate, but was amended by the House and returned to the Senate for final approval. Senate Bill 231 transfers administration of West Virginia's small business innovation research and small business technology transfer matching funds programs to the Department of Economic Development West Virginia's farms and forests were on display today at the Capitol. Randy Yowie discovered a new take on dairy farming and the possibility of expanding the state's fledgling furniture manufacturing industry.
6: State Agriculture Commissioner Kent Leonhardt is singing high praises for the Mountaintop Beverage Facility in Morgantown. He says the company will initially start with more than 300 jobs, hopefully expanding to 700. He says the public-private business partner is an aseptic milk processing facility geared to produce
3: and distribute shelf stable milk. When this type of processing comes into an area, the dairy farms move in. So, you know, we've had an exodus of dairy farms. It's just the economy of scales of things that's going to happen. You know, there's, there's a lot of milk being produced. But the beauty of this being right centrally located in West Virginia, they're going to be able to distribute shelf stable milk that does not need refrigeration, that tastes just as good as you get at the grocery store right now. What's the beauty of that? For our school systems, for an example, that get the milk program, the lunch program, sometimes they can't get a daily delivery of fresh milk. Now we'll be able to have fewer trucks, less expensive because they're not refrigerated, make a delivery, and then when the school needs it, all they have to do is refrigerate it.
6: Speaker of the House, Roger Hanshaw, has told me more than once that he'd like to see the West Virginia Division of Forestry get more involved in facilitating furniture making in the state, make that become a viable state industry. The forestry folks say that's news to them, but they say there is potential. Jeremy McGill, an assistant state forester with the West Virginia Division of Forestry, says the division no longer has an FPU, a Forest Products Utilization Forester. He says that position was moved down to economic development, still under the Department of Commerce umbrella.
5: They primarily make contact with wood products industry in the state—sawmills, cabinet makers, flooring manufacturers, uh, people who were involved in the manufacturing end, instead of like the primary production end, loggers, and they would coordinate with them to help them meet their business needs.
6: McGill says if there were efforts to increase furniture making in West Virginia, the Division of Forestry would be able to help facilitate the wood-based industry development.
5: We have information about the natural resources of the state. Uh, we can link them with the Forest Service uh, data that tells you know, what kind of species we have, how much there is, where's it at and uh, we have knowledge of the primary production in, the loggers, and uh, we do have contacts throughout the industry that we could help put people in contact with who they need to be in contact with.
6: Shelf-stable milk and possible furniture making, two things related to the land that could see growth in the near future. For the Legislature
2: Today, I'm Randy Yoey. The situation in West Virginia's jails continues to be difficult even with various programs, incentives and pay raises to encourage more West Virginians to serve as correctional officers there are still severe shortages. Even a program to use members of the West Virginia National Guard in non-inmate contact areas has helped, but representatives from the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation concede it's a stopgap measure and will never intended to be a permanent fix. Legislative reporter Chris Shull sat down with Delegate David Kelly and Senator Mike Caputo to get their takes on the situation and moves
0: in the legislature to help fix it. Thank you, Bob. Delegate David Kelly and Senator Mike Caputo both join me now in the legislature today. Thank you for being here, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, Senator, why don't we start with you? Can you just give us 30,000 feet up look at what is the situation in the state's jail system right now?
7: Well, it's it's not rocket science. We have over a thousand vacancies in in high skilled, uh, very dangerous jobs, and we as a state have to find a way to fix that. And uh, we're working together across party lines to try to figure out solutions and talking to experts and seeing what we can come up with.
0: And. What do you believe is is part of the problem here i mean why do we have so many vacancies
7: well i I think uh, my opinion is pay it always comes down to pay these are very stressful uh, jobs and they are requiring at this point in time a lot of overtime a lot of mandatory overtime because we just don't have the staff to to fill these uh, positions and someone has to be there to look uh, look over these inmates and uh, you know take care of business. So so until we have full staffing, there's always gonna be a problem there, and, and we're not gonna have full staffing
0: until we are competitive in pay with
7: our surrounding states.
0: So, Delegate Kelly, I mean, that's exactly what you have tried to rectify here with House Bill 2879. Correct. Talking about pretty significant uh, pay increases for correctional officers. I'm seeing here, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, an initial bonus this year of $6,000 for existing. That- that's correct. Yeah, tell me a little bit about this bill. Well,
3: the bill starts out with the assumption that we're going to give them $10,000 uh, as, as an across-the-board pay raise. Now, the bill, as it's written, currently would make that $5,000, $2,500, and $2,500. And that would be across the board. So your entry-level correctional officer would go from uh, would go from $33,000 would go up. Uh, if, if if we got it all at once, it would be $43,000. But the sergeant who's been there, and this is what I like, the sergeant who's been there for 10 years is also gonna get a $10,000 raise. And that's, that's how we keep them there. That's, that's how we do that. And so it's across the board from your entry level CO right on up the line. Now the bonus is a little different. The bonus would be a $6,000 bonus for current officers. Uh, it would be 3000 for a new hire. And that new hire would work for three years and at the completion of three years, then would be qualified to receive the additional $3,000. And, and as my good friend said, that doesn't come without a price tag. We know that. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, you know, it's sizable, but it's something that we can't ignore. Uh, these, are, these are unsung heroes. I'm, I'm sure Mike would agree with me. They are unsung heroes. The, we never see them. Uh, We never hear about them until something goes wrong, and then we hear, and we need to do something uh, to honor them. They are
7: heroes. Yep. Delegate Kelly, uh, uh, nobody understands this problem better than you. I mean, this is your background. I trust your judgment on all of this, but, you know, I do understand workers and and what keeps workers there. And, you know, what I like about the Delegate's plan is it's paid progression. It gives you a reason to make a career Out of an otherwise maybe just a short-term job till something better comes along, for for lack of of a better term. So you're going to make a you're going to make decent pay with decent benefits, and know if you stay that your pay will will climb and will will be progressive because of your longevity and and your devotion to this career. That's the only way we're going to keep people in professions like this, and they are unsung heroes. You know, most people say, oh, they're in jail. uh, You know lock them up, throw away the key. Well, even if you have that attitude, you still should have sympathy for the correction officers that are there that have to, you know, that have to do uh all the daily duties and and the safety aspects to keep others safe and let's keep in mind there's civilians that work in these in these uh, facilities as well we're so short-staffed right now and i'm sure dave can talk about this way better than i can i know we're using the national guard uh not so much in by in the you know in the 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 corrections part itself but on out, out Outside jobs, uh, which I'll refer to—I know there's a, a, a term for that—and even DNR officers to fill in these vacancies. We have a real problem in this uh, in this profession in West Virginia.
0: Yeah, Delegate, I, as I understand it, we've spent uh, several million dollars on staffing administrative positions with National Guard members. I mean, um, can you talk to that a little bit? And and and. Are we going to see potentially savings on short-term expenditures like that?
3: Well, just for instance, it's estimated that it could be anywhere from $17 million to $20 million this year to keep the National Guard.
0: Uh, Because we're talking about 200, 250 positions. That's that's
3: not sustainable. Uh, We can't do that. Uh, that, That's that's just that. that, And I'm glad the governor did it. I'm, I'm glad he did it. He brought them in when we needed them the most and they're still there. But what we have to do is we have to be proactive now. We have to find a way forward to, uh, to, down, to, to begin to bring those, those guardsmen out and put, put our officers back in. So, so with this, uh, we're able to do it. We, 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 it's a pathway forward, and uh, that's, that's I think the senator would agree with me. This is a pathway forward, and I want to say this. There are a lot of things down here that are political, but our jails and our prisons are not political this is a real crisis that we're facing, and uh, we we've got to do something.
7: Yeah, it's well said, it is not sustainable. Absolutely yeah. not. And it's uh, uh, commend the governor, uh, kudos but we got to find a long-term fix here. We can't just continue to kick the proverbial can down the road, as they say, because this is an issue that's not going to go away on its own, and it's not going to get better Uh until we step up as legislators and find out where our priorities are and, and put forth the political will to fix things. I mean, you know, prison uh, fixes may not be sexy or popular out on the campaign trail, but they're, they need done. And they're real people that work these jobs with real families and real kids who want to get a
0: college education and, and, and live like uh, other families in their communities. Senator, you used the term uh, fixes, plural. And one of the things that I've been watching for the last couple of months is this, uh, what we call the per diem increase. Yes. Uh, for our viewers, just very briefly, that is the amount of money that a county or a municipality mm-hmm. pays every single day that they have someone from their jurisdiction in a state facility. Um, currently, that's uh, around $48 a day, yes. um, but it is already set to increase by almost $6, uh, which is, you know, percentage wise, mm-hmm. a significant jump in July if the legislature doesn't take any action. Uh, as our resident expert sitting here in front of me, delegate, um, what do you have to say about these per diem increases?
3: Well, I, I, I don't see any pathway forward whereby we can in, we, we, we have to increase them. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to do that. Uh, and, and I'll say that we looked at different ways. Uh, I don't know if the Senator's aware of any of these conversations, but we had looked at different ways to do that. And one was cost sharing which would uh, provide uh, municipalities uh, they, they would be required to pay for a certain amount of, of, uh, of the front end time, not, not, not excessive, but just to take some of the burdens away from the counties. Now, I'm concerned, as I know Mike is, about, uh, about a lot of things where per diem concerned because when you increase it, uh, there may be some counties that, that would have a difficult time with that. But by the same token, I'm also aware that we're going to have to do something with our per diem. We, we just can't stop.
7: Just- Absolutely. Dave's right. We've been wrestling per diem costs ever since I've been down here. And that's uh, well, they've over, been
0: frozen for several years. over a yes. quarter of a
7: century. They have. And, you know, uh, I think the only fix, and, and I don't know if Dave would agree with this or not, but I think the only fix is the state is going to have to come in and provide some relief because there are counties who just plain flat cannot afford what they're paying now, let alone if there is a per diem increase. And, you know, we were talking before we went on the air. I live in a very small, which we proudly call one-horse town that doesn't even have a stoplight. We could never afford that. So, you know, and then would that create maybe, you know, the town uh, policeman saying, well, I don't want to arrest this guy because it's going to cost the town more money, and I know the town can't afford it. So there's a whole host of problems, and, and, but per diems, they will need to be increased. The question is going to be, you know, who's going to pay for it and how are we going to pay for it? Because there are some counties, as you know, that have laid off. Uh, people uh, because of coal severance tax in their area maybe went down or, or whatever, and just can't pay, just can't afford to pay for it. The only real fix, I say, is the state has to step in and provide some relief. What
0: that relief is, I don't know yet. But, uh. I appreciate that, uh, but very briefly, you know, one of the things that we heard in November's legislative interims was that, you know, with this price going up being potentially prohibitive for certain municipalities, um, a reduction in the um, population in our facilities. I know that there is overcrowding, or at least there was last year, um, you know. And one of the things that's been proposed is reducing the number of people, reducing the number of people that these counties need to pay for. Some of the things we've talked about are, um ending or amending bail and uh you know maybe looking re-looking at nonviolent offenders. But most of the people, if I understand correctly, in our facilities are simply awaiting trial. Um so uh, can I get some thoughts on that? Sure, Delegate
3: Pre trial detainees. Yes. That's where most of the that's where most of the per diem is gobbled up, if I can use that's not a real good word to use, but that's where most of it uh we, we spend most of it. And there are uh, there, there are methods and, and ways that we can look at that and and say, well, you know, if someone's uh, in there in jail for five or six days because they can't come up with ten percent of a five hundred dollar bond.
0: I don't mean to interrupt you, but I fine. mean the average number that I saw was over two hundred days that mm-hmm. some of these people are waiting for pretrial detention. Sure. Yeah.
3: Well, anyway, we need to take a look at that and, and try to find a way, a pathway forward, without turning the key and letting everybody out, finding out. Uh, I've heard it said there are some people that we're afraid of, and they should be in jail. And then there are some people we're mad at; they shouldn't be in jail. Uh, so we have to decide who who belongs, who belongs, who who needs to stay there. The bond needs to be set accordingly. And then we have to take a look at folks who who may not uh, just because they can't come up with fifty dollars. We've got to find a way to do that. And I know some counties are doing that. They may do that in Marion County. There are, you know, prosecutors and, and uh, other folks are taking a look at these uh, jail sheets and saying, well, let's get this person back in here before magistrate. Let's try to get a bond reduction. Let's do this. And it would be for nonviolent uh, crimes.
0: Right. Things like day release programs. Yes. Senator, I wanted to give you just a quick opportunity. We've got about 30 seconds. Yeah,
7: nobody could articulate it better than Dave just did. Uh, you know, those that uh, need to be there and those that maybe we're mad at. So, no, I, you know, I'm a firm believer in second chances. I'm a firm believer there's probably a lot of people in jail that really don't need to be there. We need to take a hard look at that. And that would reduce costs and, and maybe put some good people back home and become productive members of society again, which
0: is what we all want at Absolutely. the end of the day. Well, Delegate David Kelly, Senator Mike Caputo, uh, talking about a very broad reaching and serious issue here. Uh, Thank you both so much for being on the show and we look forward to seeing what you get done with this. Back to you, you, Bob. Thank you.
2: Thanks for that, Chris. Tune into the legislature today, Monday through Friday at six. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Brunner, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, committed to teaching, research, and professional training with degree programs in multiple locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston. An all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at Hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at Segra.com.